0: Welcome everybody to the Love Evolved podcast. This is Leanne. I'm a holistic psychologist living in Los Angeles, specializing in love, sex and relationships. And I use a unique combination of therapy and breath work with clients to really cut the work in half. It's been phenomenal to see since combining these two modalities how the work can go so much faster because breathwork really gets to the heart of the matter. So if you're new to breathwork and you want some samples, I can send you some audios. Just reach out via email. You can also message me on Instagram. I'm really passionate about spreading the healing power of breathwork. It's completely changed my life and so many of my clients feel the same way. And so this podcast focuses on high-level relationships, in particular, conscious relationships, spiritual partnership, and divine union. And so there's many, many topics and episodes that cover these things. In particular, episode two is a really good place to start if you just want a general overview of what I mean when I say conscious relationships. It's a quick 20-minute introduction, and it's also my most popular podcast. And so in particular, on this podcast, I really focus on healing the relationship between men and women, which is my mission. And it's been a really deeply personal journey that has led me to this being my mission in the world. And so I speak a lot about that if you follow me. And if any of these topics are new to you, when I say conscious relationships, divine union, you can always follow me on Instagram where I post frequently and I share resources and I talk about all of these things. And you can also message me or email me directly with any comments or questions, especially if you need support. Again, I work with clients all over the world over Zoom. I also see people in person here in LA, so please reach out. So welcome to episode 21. I'm so excited for this one and I've named it the power of men's work and personal responsibility. And so Jetty Azuma is the founder of the rising man movement. This organization has been going strong now for over five years and they offer men's groups and events, both online and in person. And what's really cool about Jetty is that he's definitely one of the OGs in the space as far as I'm concerned. And he shared with me that he's been doing this work over 15 years, started on a personal level, and then became his own passion and mission in the world. He works tirelessly in this space, and I have a lot of respect for him. And so I really think it's admirable that Jetty's been doing this for so, so long because it's only been the last few years that men's work has really risen into popular culture. I'm so grateful that it has. Many people don't realize that men's work has been alive and well since the 80s and even prior. And Jetty talks about this a little bit at the beginning of the podcast episode. So we cover so much in this episode from how to parent our boys properly to what masculinity even is. And we also talk about what you can expect if you're new to men's work. And this is good for both men and women to hear. Sometimes women, when they hear that men are going off to do men's work, they have some suspicions in terms of what they're being uh, shown, in terms of what they are being taught. And so Hopefully this episode can help shed light on the incredible work, and I just want men's work to spread far and wide. Many of you know I have a son, and so I feel very passionately about men's work. And we also talk about some of the topics that men carry deep shame around, and this is a really important part of the conversation because both men and women might be surprised about some of the topics. And as we know, whether we're men or women, anything that you carry shame around and really try to hide away just becomes this sort of skeleton in the closet that we drag around and we carry that shame in our unconscious. It shapes our belief about ourselves and it really is not good to continue to carry that around. And so If nothing else, these men's circles really helping to liberate that shame and to help to alchemize it into just becoming a better person and taking ownership of your life so incredibly impactful, if for that reason alone. But as Jenny and I speak about, it goes much, much deeper, much, much wider than that in terms of the impact. And so we also had this great dialogue about personal responsibility over victim mentality, which is one of my favorite topics in terms of really empowering people. It sure was in my life. And I share my personal experience of really healing from abuse and really being stuck in victim mentality and how when I finally was able to switch into personal responsibility, taking ownership and really creating my life fully, that's when everything completely changed. And it has up to this day. And so that's why even though The whole conversation around victim mentality versus personal responsibility can be triggering for some people. And I get it. Like it was the hardest pill for me to swallow. I always share. I always, always share that with people. It took a long time for it to really land for me. But the reason I keep talking about it is because it made the hugest impact in my life. Like, I'm getting chills right now talking about it. It really, really did. And so when we can step into ownership of our life, see how we are co-creating, not just with other people, but also co-creating with the divine, it's literally everything. And so I'm so happy that we spoke about that for so long. This conversation was filled with so many important points, and I'm truly honored to have Jetty on the podcast with us. So please reach out to either of us with any comments or questions. We would love to keep this conversation going. So, Jetty, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today to talk all about men's work, masculinity, and how this can benefit the relationship between men and women. I'm really excited to get into that part. Um, and so do you want to just take a minute to introduce yourself and share about the work that you do?
1: Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll speak as briefly as I can because I'm sure we'll get into the nitty gritty of it throughout the episode. But first, thank you for having me here. Always honored to be invited as a guest. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jetty Azuma. I reside in Austin, Texas at the moment with my wife of eight years, Carrie, and my two children my son Sitka, who is seven, my daughter Itzel, who is three and a half. I always say that first because to me, the two most important jobs I have are being a husband and a father. It's in my bio. I say that everywhere I go because truly, you ask me about my mission or my vision or anything that I do. And it always comes back to how I can best set up my children to have the best experience of life as possible and how I can be the best husband and father that I can be. So that's the most important part. In addition to that, I am a man who has been in the men's work space for 15 years. Accidentally sat in my first men's circle about 15 years ago from the date of this recording. And over the course of time, got really obsessed and deeply, deeply ensconced by men's work, leadership development, and rites of passage. And so created the Rising Man Movement about five years ago, launched the podcast, and it's grown into an international worldwide movement with hundreds of men all over the world that were focused on initiating an entire generation of men into purpose-driven leadership so we can be stewards of the new earth. And- Oh
0: my gosh, That's- uh,
1: yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot.
0: Well, that is very <laughs> impressive. So actually, the first place I wanted to start, you said that you sat in your first men's circle 15 years ago. So mm-hmm. this is incredible. Like you have a real history here. Um, and versus, you know, kind of seeing maybe men's work come into the popular scene now for what would you say? Maybe the past three, four years that's really come up and where people just everyday people kind of are talking about it now, right? And so 15 years ago was pretty significant. Can you just share more yeah. about that?
1: Well, firstly, I'll say it's, it's been an evolution. Um, like I, I mentioned, I first sat in a circle. We didn't really know what we were doing. It was a few buddies of mine who <laughs> we were particularly interested in personal development and spirituality was our focus at that point in time, consciousness, meditation, breath, spirituality, just at the source was really fascinating for myself and my group of friends. And when we were finishing college, so one day we just happened to be sitting around with six of us. And one of them said, Hey, so what's really going on with you guys? And it opened the door for a deeper conversation than we've ever had before. And these were some of my best friends in the world and realized that we hadn't had a conversation at a certain level up to that point. So, but outside of my experience, uh, I I've been sitting in other circles with men now for 10 years who have been doing this for over 25 years. Wow. So, I think there was a first generation of what we consider men's work that happened with organizations like mankind projects. I want to give credit to a man named Justin Sterling and the Sterling men's weekend. That was one of the first men's experiences that I had in organized capacity and iron John and and some of these things, you know, Robert Bly and all these early names in this, what I, what I consider the men's movement that started back in, in the eighties and nineties, really. So uh, you know, the past three or four years, I think it's become a much more widespread. When I first launched a podcast, for example, five years ago, I, was, I, I did all my research. I wanted to know about everybody who was doing a podcast about men's work, men's experiences, and I could only find 10. And about oh, half wow. of them were about how to get laid and how to go on dates and how to right. get more women. And I was like, wow. And now it's like everybody who does men's work has a podcast, which is great. I think it's just an interesting sign of how the the hockey stick curve has gone upward. And now men's work is a household term. It's household terminology now almost.
0: I'm so, so grateful. It is like really. um, And people wonder why I'm so into men's work because I have a son and I really want to do the best that I can to raise him in, into an incredible boy or incredible man, I should say. And so mm. I don't really have a lot of tools. I feel like to help to support that, right? Especially as a single mom. So it's kind of hard. Um, his dad and I think probably are on the same page with a lot of things, but I don't think his dad is really into men's work or really knows much about it. So I can only do so much to kind of share what I know. Right. Um, sure. but I'm so excited and we'll talk about this later in terms of the offerings that you have for boys and teenagers, because I think it's huge. Right. And mm. so this is really interesting with kind of like the, the different waves of men's work. And why do you think right now it's actually so big?
1: Well, uh, let me come back to that in just a moment. I don't want to miss something you said and kind of get lost in the swirl of the conversation. You're... I think it's really important to acknowledge that I, I understand you're, where you're coming from when you say that you're limited in how you can support your son in raising him to be a man but everyone has a role in raising mm-hmm. our our boys and our girls into men and women of this next generation. And I would say at a, at a minimum, there's two really important responsibilities that mothers have for boys, which number one, I learned how to treat a woman by the way my mom raised me. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm grateful that my mom raised me and, and very, she raised me to be very respectful, very considerate and kind and loving and compassionate towards people, especially women. I watched the way my dad treated my mom and that also made an influence on me, but every every good man who who in the world, a lot of them were raised by really, really great women too. So also launching boys into the world and being able to cut that cord as the mother. There's a really interesting, it's beautiful, the relationship between a mother and son. I get to witness it with my wife and our son all the time. And even she knows that the biggest challenge of her life is going to be finally cutting that cord and sending him off into the world not having any control over what his life is gonna end up being from that point forward and just releasing that. It's one of the most important thresholds that a boy crosses. And there's a lot of mothers who are not never really able to do that because of a relationship that you know much more about than I do. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge that first and say that because I think it's important to to recognize it's not just men raising boys. We're all raising boys and girls together.
0: Yeah, that's thank you for actually spending a little time on that because it's very true. And so with my son being 12 right now, we're at that point, exactly as you're saying, that the I need to kind of step back. That's the best thing I can do for him. And it's not because I don't love him so much. This is like where moms kind of get confused. They think if they start to pull back, then that means they're pulling the love back. But that's not it at all. And so I want to encourage him to just be a strong Healthy young man who actually knows how to t- start to take care of himself, who knows how to become more independent. So I see, um, you know, working as a psychologist, when I first started out over 10 years ago, I was actually working in the high schools as a psychologist, and mostly teenage boys were sent to me. That's kind of how it works in the schools. It's a whole other conversation about how our schools sometimes aren't set up to help support boys and young men, right? Um, and so they would be the ones to get into the most trouble. But what I would see is the the parental kind of trend right now is towards uh, a little bit of permissiveness, the helicopter parenting thing, where we, we do sure. not like to watch our children struggle. And so it's really the worst thing that you can do, especially for boys, because then they just basically become kind of helpless, right? And so I I know all of this intellectually, putting it into practice with my son has been hard, but I like we talk openly about a lot of this stuff. Last night at dinner, um he was like kind of pushing back uh, against, you know, helping to clean up or something and So I was just like, Hayden, like, you know, you're going to be 13. This is when they used to kind of send boys into the woods, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I was just kind of joking with him, And he's like, mom, I know, like, cause I've talked to him before about this, but um, it is hard as a mom. And yet it's something that we, we need to kind of do our own inner work to be able to do this as well. It's the best gift I think we can give our sons.
1: Yeah. To let them know that the biggest obstacle and opponent that they're going to face in their lives is themselves. And their own mind. I just think about that moment, right? I remember being 13 years old and knowing that I'm fully capable of cleaning and helping because I've done it before. I mean, my kids at the age they're at, they take pride in that. They love helping and seeing that they can do it. And then eventually you can do it and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'd rather do something else. And that moment of, well, there's going to be plenty of moments in your life where I'm not here to push you into doing the thing that needs to be done. You're going to have to do that for yourself. And letting I mean, I, I mean, even just beginning that conversation with a 13-year-old, no <laughs> one ever said that to me. Right. And and I'm and majority of parents don't think to don't even know or weren't even aware of the battles that they're fighting in their own minds. So to let these youngers know that, hey, your your biggest adversary in your life is going to be your own mind. And I'm here for a, a short period of time to help set you up to learn how to deal with that and how to cope with the the brain chatter it's that alone to me is transformational generationally.
0: I totally agree. And it really, it makes, it hurts my heart when I see boys and the statistics around, you know, how they're doing, not just academically, but also emotionally, it's really, really kind of hard to see. And so, but that's why I, it's one of the many reasons I love men's work because I think it's a remedy to support men and boys to really find their purpose, to discover what masculinity even is, especially in our current culture. It's like, gosh, there's so many mixed messages and confusion. And so actually I would love for you to speak on that note for just a few minutes, if you don't mind, about masculinity. And what's the difference between maybe healthy versus unhealthy, or sometimes I prefer, you know, the, the mature masculine versus immature masculine.
1: Yeah. Well, for me, masculine and feminine are two words that oftentimes represent certain qualities or characteristics that for the most part, we as a general public can agree upon. You know, generally speaking, I'm not saying that this is the way that it is, but the way I consider masculine is I think of the container. I think of certainty. I think of logic, strategy. I think of precision, single focus. I think of science. I think of all of those skills. I think of fire, things that are very deliberate and precise and directed. Whereas to me, feminine, uh, I usually usually associate that with the element of water. It's what fills the container. It's expressiveness. It's intuition. It's timelessness. It's uncertainty. And so when we talk about masculine and feminine, I think they're just two polar elements that exist inside of every human being and exist in everything around us. So when we talk about masculine, those are the qualities I'm thinking of and Mm -hmm. tend to be the qualities that many men or males in our society have embraced obviously we live in a time and age where masculine male and man are not all synonymous with each other and same for the feminine and female and woman terminology they don't they don't all represent the same things so when we're talking about masculine it's really who is embodying the characteristics and qualities of masculinity that we agree upon and want to see more of in this world and in this society. So talking about mature and immature masculine, I think mature, even just the definition of the word maturity, to me, that's somebody who is seasoned and practiced in masculine principles. So going back to all those words I said, right, strategy, logic, precision, discipline, focus, somebody who's really well seasoned in those qualities and characteristics and this is where the definition of manhood comes in for me. Somebody who is applying those qualities to be of service to the world instead of sitting back and waiting for the world to be of service to himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll pause yeah. there for a second.
0: Oh, that I mean, that's so beautiful. I think it's really important to acknowledge that, you know, when we, or at least when I say immature versus mature, it's like, it's actually acknowledging that we're all here on a journey. And so like, we're all, we all started from, you know, being young people. And Mm. so it's the journey of a lifetime to become more mature. And so there's, I want to say that just because I'm not saying there's any shame in, you know, if you have certain qualities that are a little bit immature, it just means that, hey, there's an opportunity for you to actually develop um, and strengthen that area in whatever way. And so I, I prefer those terms versus, you know, toxic or whatever is, you know, because that's a whole other thing. Um, but I do, yeah, I really believe that strengthening these things is important because for me, the spiritual path of divine union is really working with the yin and the yang, the feminine and the masculine together in union, especially inner union. And so I feel like we have to collectively kind of have some kind of idea of, of the energetics of what we're working on in terms of actually getting to this place and walking the path of divine union and that's why i'm actually kind of pro keeping these separate these separate energetics and really just respecting the fact that they're perfect complementary opposites mm. and you can do the inner union part inside you to really balance your own yin yang masculine feminine although as men and women we tend to have our our core and like what we're most comfortable in but in partnership with another person whether it's um, a man and a woman or same sex, you can actually practice polarity to attain that inner union. And so the outer union of being with somebody can actually activate certain parts inside you that are really kind of dormant or suppressed that you actually have the opportunity to kind of strengthen those or not. Or you can just be in a complimentary partnership with somebody who might, might be better at certain things than you are and then you're a perfect team together. And so that's, it's a deeply spiritual path for me.
1: And I agree with that. And uh, I think of David Data, and uh, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you probably have read Way of the Superior Man or at least familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks a lot about polarity and how um, masculine and feminine has to exist. And it doesn't matter which gender or person in a partnership embodies which dynamic or what the balance is, the ratio is. But if they're, if they are out of balance in any way, then there will be um, tension. So I agree. I think that there does need to have that imbalance and even just the awareness of it and to have open conversations about it, whether it's in an intimate partnership or even in a, in a team dynamic, because even within a, in a team setting or in a family setting, there's certain people who fall more comfortably or more naturally into a masculine or a feminine role. Right. Ensuring that there is some balance there, or at least having the awareness to speak to it, you know, say, okay, who who is occupying the more masculine pole here, or is there an, is there a vacancy? Maybe there's just a lot of masculinity in, in here. Who, who's bringing some of the feminine into yeah. the space, and that these roles are dynamic, that we don't have to be locked in to any specific position. Which I think also gives a lot of freedom and permission to people these days to decide how they want to express themselves. That's why I don't ever when when I say. Rising man and is a men's organization and we do men's events, anybody who identifies as a man is welcome to be there and we believe that there's a specific uh, a certain a certain experience that humans on this planet have when identifying as men so that's what we create our offerings and our experiences around but within that space it, it doesn't mean that all of the men who come into our space are you know super masculine individuals or, or even that they want to be. And so I think it's important just to have the awareness, but to give people the permission to, to embrace where they naturally fall.
0: Right. And I, I love this, like sort of, I love how you actually started out describing masculinity because a lot of times it is sort of taught to us nowadays as like this bullet point list of like, here are the qualities, right? And it's so much deeper than that. It's actually so much more like of a spiritual embodied experience beyond just like, okay, here are sort of the qualities I need to develop within myself. And I also love how you kind of noted that either like in a team structure or in a family, and that kind of reminds me of like the bigger purpose that I see with men's work, which is to play a role in like sort of this zoomed out perspective of what's happening collectively in the world, right? The, the balance of the masculine and the feminine in the world. And so I kind of look back at least over the last 10 years, let's just take that time period and see that everything that has come to pass is sort of in response or reaction to different things that might just need to be kind of counterbalanced, right? And so like the rise of all the, like the femininity and like the divine feminine that we see all over the place is just kind of a reaction to Women being really out of touch with their bodies, with their sexuality, with like, what what is femininity, right? Like, all of these movements are kind of happening in perfect timing, if that makes sense, to kind of correct certain imbalances. And so, like, when I see men's work and the work that you're doing, it's like... As a woman, it actually makes me kind of emotional because it's correcting an imbalance in the past where perhaps men haven't been as conscious with the way that they're showing up. So, so it's really like, this is actually big, big work.
1: Absolutely, and, and it's, it's tricky because it's so easy to look at how unfair the world has been for so many people. And we could we could choose so many different categories based on so many different things, but just the disparity between men and women Throughout the course of history, and obviously not every human's history, but in more recent history, for sure, and where many of us come from, are from societies where women were treated terribly. Whether it was um, objectification for their bodies, the way their bodies were used, the way women were seen as property, and all of that just falls so far out of balance with what we were talking about. That's that's not a balanced masculine and feminine, right? right? That is that is a dominant. Uh, that's one one population of people dominating another and right. so uh it's it makes for the necessity for the pendulum to swing back in the other direction and at this day and age where i think women are more empowered than they have been perhaps ever at least that we've seen mm-hmm. it's it's wonderful and raising a daughter that's 100 percent something that i want to see and it also makes the world in many ways a different place for men to exist too um, as soon as as soon as the uh, the spotlight was was placed on all of these atrocities that men have been committing and, and currently still are the the sensitivity levels rose tremendously and so the the ability for for men to to make it to to make mistakes or to to misrepresent themselves or to say something or do something there's there's very 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 little margin for error for men in the world and on one hand I think that's it's 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 healthy. To, to always be raising the standard and have higher expectations, but also to, to remember that we're all humans too, and that we're all liable to be making mistakes. And I think where I always come back to this is we also live in a society, forget whether we're talking about men, women, old, younger, where so many of us, our instinct is to point the finger outwards and to see where I can place blame outside of myself. So if it's you know if it's men being pigs and and saying uh, terrible things to women who what can I point to outside of myself and and say that's the reason why that's the reason why men are that way um, whereas I think the, the the more important thing for all of us to be doing is to be looking at ourselves how am I contributing to that consciously or unconsciously right and how am I participating in in perpetuating this culture that is obviously perpetuated itself for millennia now. And, um, that's, that's often where I go to. And I know it's not a popular stance to have, and it's certainly, it's, it's easy to say that when I'm not immediately under the gun or, 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 you know, in the midst of something, but radical responsibility is something I think every human on the planet can be doing a better job with myself included. Oh my gosh.
0: So you're you're really speaking my language here because I I really have for the past 5 years been pretty firmly walking this path of personal responsibility and I know it's not popular because it's hard. It's hard to actually look at yourself and take ownership. And so I'm so happy that you brought this up because nothing is going to change collectively if we don't actually turn towards ourselves and do the inner work first before actually turning outward. However, that's not how most of us were raised. It hasn't really been modeled for us. I feel like we live in this culture right now that is really perpetuating victim mentality on a really, really, like it's very, very unfortunate to watch because it's so disempowering. And so yeah, it's it's triggering for some people, but I was actually gently guided to see how I was really in victim mentality and not at all taking personal responsibility. Around 2015, when my marriage was crumbling, my therapist at the time very gently started to guide me to see like, it's not just about what he's doing to you. You have to look towards yourself and see how you're participating and co-creating the dynamic between the two of you. And so, although I can say sort of, you know, on paper, generally, it's like my, you know, I wasn't being treated the way that I deserved and he wasn't being kind and all these things that I guess were, you know, truth on some level, the thing that I had to learn with like such humility, this is what it takes, like real humility, is that I had horrible boundaries. I stayed in that relationship for almost 20 years with him, just putting up with it and, yeah, I just was kind of like the easy sort of cool girl who really didn't need very much. And so my standards were very low. And so if you're going to show up like that, that's how people are going to treat you. I also had to do a lot of work on self-love and self-worth. And so this was like me going through the fire and really learning that myself. And then I started to get passionate about talking to women about this this personal responsibility. And some of them really get it and others are very, very triggered by it. But I continue to talk about it because in my own life, and you probably know as well, it's the number one most empowering thing that I've experienced. It changed my whole life, it changed everything. And so, going through that myself, and I still have to check myself almost every day to avoid slipping down into that. But it's that's it right there. So, I'm really happy. Thank you for bringing that up.
1: Yeah. Well, i just want to acknowledge you because that's no small work for anyone to do to be able to you know forget again just humans right that's a hard that's a hard thing for humans to do regardless of your background or circumstances is to overcome that victim story because it's a very loud story and it's very compelling it gets a lot of attention and one of the things that the victim story thrives upon is that attention it's that um sympathy that we're able to get that acknowledgement, that recognition that, oh, wow, that must be so hard. That must be yeah. really, really hard. And that works for a period of time. But to continue to be in that mindset where I, I look at it this way in a lot of our men's spaces, we talk about be, either being the solution or the problem. And if I'm stuck on the problem, or I'm sorry, if I'm, if I'm looking at everything else as the problem outside of myself, then the solution exists outside of me too. Mm-hmm. and I'm powerless. So the, the flip for me in that victim role, anytime that I want to go there, and believe me, I go there more times than I want to admit, just naturally in my head, wanting to feel bad for myself, or this is so hard. As soon as I flip it around and say, how am I the problem right now? Certainly there's things outside of my control that are contributing to the scenario I'm in, but how am I the problem? what am I not doing? What could I be doing differently? How could I be speaking to myself differently? Can I, do I need to wake up earlier? Do I need to put more effort in? Do I need to be more gentle with myself? And then that also empowers me to be the solution. But if I don't see myself as the problem, then I'm also putting myself at the whim and mercy of these external factors and circumstances I have no control over. And so I get, I understand, and I have so much compassion for people who are anchored in that story. So many of my family members, my blood family members that I come from, my direct descendants thrive on being martyrs and victims because it was in our culture. And that's what they learned. They modeled that from their parents and aunties and uncles. And it's just, it's, it's a part of our family tradition at this point. And it, it's, it's, it's difficult to see that, but I'm also determined, and this is where it comes back to raising children differently. I don't want my children to be anchored or rooted in a victim story mm-hmm. or to to see themselves as the victim because then it, it takes power it literally it disempowers yeah. people
0: right oh my gosh yeah i'm so happy and so in the show notes i'll link a great article to Lynn Forrest she writes about the 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 victim triangle where there's mm-hmm. the three kind of positions yep. of victor, victim rescuer persecutor and so like we're pretty much stuck in this collectively it's very very common So nobody should have shame, you know, if they find themselves in this, because I feel like most people are, and there's a way out. And I really, I talk about this a lot. If we can collectively start to really step out of the triangle, it, can you imagine like the impacts on humanity? Like it would just completely evolve us because we've been stuck in this control sort of game for hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe longer. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's true empowerment when you actually step out of these things. But it's really devastating to watch yeah. when people are stuck in it, because having experienced both sides, it's like, wow, if people only could realize how they can really just take their life back. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I love how you said it, because um, the only way that things are going to change is if you actually take ownership of your own life. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to come save you and do it for you. And so it's up to it's up to us to do that work. And I'm so happy that you're modeling this for your children. Like there's just I feel like there's so many incredible shifts happening right now with things that we're showing our our kids. And so even though times sure. seem kind of tough right now, I have a lot of faith for the future. So yeah, is there anything else you want to say about victim mentality?
1: Well, just how important I believe it is for uh, men and women who are, who are, who have been able to navigate that or reconcile that victim role into some capacity to step, to step forward and be leaders in modeling that too. And specifically for women like yourself, I know a number of women in my life who have also done a lot of work on their victim story. I think it's so important for, for models like yourself to be out there for women to see, because I mean, one of the, one of the most challenging victim roles to pull oneself out of must be uh women who have been sexually assaulted or sexually abused mm-hmm. We talk about uh especially uh, there's obviously there's so much context and circumstances to each woman's experience but in many cases ha- literally having their power taken away from them yeah. physically mentally emotionally and to 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 break free from that mentality it must be a tremendous journey. Obviously, I know I, I know nothing what that must be like, and I won't pretend to, but to see women who can pull themselves out of that and to let go of that victim story, because we even use the terminology, right? People referring to to women who've been through something like that as a rape victim. Yeah. Right. And, and it's so, I mean, you know better than I would about what that does to someone's psyche and that's the mentality and really embracing that. So- Again, just really want to commend you and, and other women out there who are determined not to let that mentality of victimhood occupy the mind and, and to take over because it's a difficult thing to let go of. I can imagine because to let go of that means that there, it creates a vacancy or a void. Well, what do I replace that with? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it, I forgot what it felt like. Maybe I never even knew what it felt like to be an empowered human an empowered woman, an empowered man. And so I think that's really where the work is. And that's why so many people are afraid to let go of this. Well, what if I let go of my victim story and all of a sudden I wasn't getting the same sympathy and compassion that I always get from people when I tell my story, what then? How will I survive? And I think that's what most people, uh, at first it might be difficult to see, but when, when it's presented over and over again, they start to see, wow, yeah, this is something that I am choosing to perpetuate simply because I don't know what to replace it with.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's such a good, it's a good explanation that you give. I think that's really, really spot on. And another thing for me is like, once you start to take ownership, it, it's just a lot of work. It's so much more work than pointing the finger outside. You have to actually get real. Like, and it actually took me, I hopefully it's not this way for everybody, but it really took me hitting rock bottom to like have everything crumble my whole marriage It really took that for me to get very, very humble and say, wow, I don't really know how to actually do romantic relationships very well. And the work I'm doing now is completely born out of that. And so if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing now. And I wouldn't be living the life that I'm living now and experiencing incredible partnership, right? And so pulling ourselves out, it felt like the hardest thing in the world to do that. But the benefits are, I always tell the women that I work with, the benefits are literally beyond anything that you can know is possible. It's it's worth every step of the way. And also, even if you just take it one day at a time to do the work, right? yes, sometimes it can take a long time to unravel a lot of this stuff. However, even the smallest steps forward will make a big impact on the external. And so just like continue to just stay on the path. And so that's what I'll say to people. And so, you know, for people who don't know some of my story, I'm glad you brought up sexual abuse and trauma because I that's what I experienced in my childhood from biological father. And so this work has so much personal meaning for me. So like healing the relationship with the masculine has been just, I can't even put it into words. It's been the number one thing for me. So after I had to first go down the path of really healing my relationship with my femininity, healing my relationship with my body as a woman, I was kind of in that very, very deeply for about three, four years. I started to realize this was probably back in like 2017. I was like, wow, this is, it doesn't feel complete. There's another piece that's missing. And so then I had to turn towards my relationship with the masculine and start to really work on that as well. So I would love to actually, if it's okay to just segue into romantic partnerships and how this work can really impact. Um, the relationship between men and women specifically. And so in your either like personally in your life, or maybe the stories that you've heard from men, how has men's work really contributed to that
1: for you? Well, well, firstly, I I just want to, there was an image that came to my mind. And I think it's really important to mention Uh, so much of what we're discussing here is occurring at a, a level of the nervous system that so many of us are not, cannot even fathom or never receive the education about how a nervous system actually works. But the simplest way to see it is the hallmark example. When a kid first touches a hot stove for the first time and they burn themselves, it creates a cellular memory that those things are hot and they hurt. And when I do this, there's a causality and, and, and it creates pain and discomfort. So I don't wanna do that thing again. And this is exactly we think about classic phobias, right? People who have a fear of heights, or people who suddenly have a fear of flying. It's it's usually just doesn't come out of nowhere. There's usually some sort of experience that creates an imprint on the nervous system that's like a danger sign, like an alarm goes off and says, "No, no, 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 this is not safe." So in your case, your example where you had that experience with your father, you had a certain experience of men, father figures, men, male authority in your life that told you a certain story about what to expect in the world. And so what we're talking about here on a, on a really oversimplified level in my mind is we're ripping pages out of a book that you wrote a long time ago, that your body and your nervous system wrote a long time ago and, and putting new ones in. But that's a very, very vulnerable thing to do because literally those stories are what allowed us to survive. Right The brain believes that this is what is going to make sure that I survive, that I literally don't die, and to challenge that story, to entertain the possibility that maybe I can fly and the plane won't crash, Maybe I can climb something tall and I won't fall down, or maybe I can develop healthy relationships with men and I won't be taken advantage of or abused or harmed in any way. It's a really courageous thing to do. And that's why I think so many people opt for the more certain thing. Well, if I just avoid that altogether, I have a higher likelihood of surviving and success right. right. So I wanted to lay that out first in talking about intimate relationships uh, because it's again, it's so much of it is contextual and circumstantial. We all have experiences when we're children that format those pages of that story that we believe going into our adulthood. and if here's here's where I love the word authority. I, I usually look at the root word author, right? It's perfect, right? Who is authoring the story of my life? Mm, yeah. when, I'm, when I'm younger, my parents have the authority, my grandparents, my aunties, my uncles, my teachers, my coaches, the people who I look up to knowingly or unknowingly giving them that authority. If I had never learned to pay attention to that, then I start giving that authority to my first few girlfriends that I had, start giving that authority to friends of mine, to kids who were a couple grades older than me. And then they start dictating who I am and and, and how I exist in the world. A big part of the work that I do with men, especially younger men, is asking them, if they who, is, who are they still giving that pen away to? Who are they still allowing to write that story for them? Because as children, it's appropriate, right? We, we, we depend on authority and authority figures to help us navigate until we can take care of ourselves. But if we never take that authority back, if I never take the responsibility for grabbing that pen. And writing the story of my own life then i'm going to continue to be at the mercy of other people's story about myself yeah so so i think that's where a lot of the work is regardless of what we experience when we're younger when it comes to intimate partnerships is well what was the story that i began began to believe when i was younger how does that influence and impact the way I look at relationships? And where do I want to start ripping out pages and rewriting that story? Where, Where is there some revisions necessary for the way that I want to be in my relationships? And that's, again, a very oversimplified version of some very, very deep work.
0: Well, I think that's really beautiful because it kind of really is an expression of what Carl Jung says, which is that if we leave the unconscious there and we don't actually shine a light on it, It's that's what's really running the show in our life. And so I love how you just described it because unless you actually rewrite the story, that's sort of the script that your life will follow. And it's Mm -hmm. just, you will just continue to keep repeating and repeating and repeating those patterns that don't work for you. And you won't step into ownership of your life and create a life that you truly desire that really can not only be exciting and fun and ecstatic, but also be you at your highest, like what God put you here to do on this earth, right? Unlocking your soul's highest potential. It's like, if you remain stuck in these these old ways of being that other people have kind of instilled upon you or programmed into you, that isn't really you at a soul level. That's not you, who you are. And so it's kind of like peeling back the layers of the onion, right? Just like slowly. And just to give people hope if they're new to doing this work, and I know it can be very hard, trust me, but I had to start small with starting to pull back some of this stuff. And as I saw the, the, the positive impact that it had on my life, even little things that I would shift, it was almost like peeling back those layers. And then once I got more comfortable in the new way, then I was able to tackle harder things. And so the the relationship with my dad has been kind of the, the final one after I got through a lot of the more surface level stuff. And yeah, so it, it's a journey. You don't have to go straight into the hardest thing. You can work on some of the smaller
1: things first. It's funny. I'm very visual. And I was just out in the garden with my daughter this morning and we kind of let the yard get a little out of control. We've been really busy the past few months. So there's a lot of weeds in there. And I was (laughs) perfect metaphor for this. I was was like, man, these are really dug in there. And I was trying to pull out the biggest rooted weeds first. And they were just locked in there by these smaller ones. Like, oh man, either I need to start working out more or this thing's really out of control. And And then we started to just, Pull at the smallest weeds, right—the ones that just have a couple of leaves on them that slide right out of the ground almost effortlessly. And as we started to pull on those and worked our way up a little bit more, it loosened up the root system so that these larger ones were actually able to come free. So I really like what you shared there. It's—it's not like you can all of a sudden just show up for a therapy session and say, "Hey, I just listened to this podcast." It was this guy Jetty on there talking to this woman. And here we, they were saying, All I got to do is just pull this thing out and everything will be fine. And uh, it's not just going to work that way. No. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a deep commitment. Because then what happens is, is you pull out one weed and you're like, Oh my goodness, there's a whole other root system under here, Leanne. What do I do? I didn't, right. I didn't expect that to be there. And <sighs> it's, it's just a determination to continue. And that's probably the hardest thing for anybody, again, man, woman, child, younger, older. What's absolutely a requirement, I believe is to have a willingness and a courage to look at oneself as honestly as you possibly can. yeah. As honestly as you possibly can. Because the, the longer it takes for me to get honest with myself and to see what's really going on, I'm not, it, 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 the game doesn't even begin. It's like, oh, we're still not, oh, okay, let's just hunt that one down the road. Because until I'm really ready to look at myself and accept, like we said before, that radical self-responsibility, there's really not much that can be done. I got to be willing to look at myself and look for, okay, what am I doing here? What's really what's running the show? Maybe I'm not in as, in as much control as I thought. And to say that out loud to somebody else is a really vulnerable thing. But in reality, we're all going through the exact same experience. We're all yes. experiencing that just in different ways.
0: I love that you said that because that's actually what for me started to get things really, really moving. I had so much shame around the divorce and like never wanted to go down that path. And, mm-hmm. you know, had my mom and dad were divorced, I swore I would never do that. But then when I was going through that, what encouraged me to speak it out loud, I started to run women's circles here in my home. And as I little by little started to speak more openly about some of the things that were going on, the women in the circle were like, yeah, like I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. And this is actually, this is funny because it's kind of coming back to our conversation when we first met each other, when we were talking about that, um, because men's circles, the same thing happens. Right. And we can get into that a little bit, but the things that had so much shame around them that I really just wanted to hide, it's almost like all the skeletons in the closet, I was realizing every woman was like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that gave me the courage to to know, number one, I'm not alone. There are other people who understand me. And maybe this isn't as awful as I think it is to actually share and be vulnerable. And so that was a huge part of my healing. So thank you so much for saying that. And the the truth of who we are and, and having the ability to look at ourselves with really clear eyes like you said earlier, takes so much courage. And I, again, I just have to state this again, that I, my courage built over time as I did little by little small steps. It wasn't until much later, a few, like maybe three, four, even five years into the process of doing this heavy lifting with the inner work that I was actually able to face the relationship with my dad. And so you're your heart knows when it's time. and so if you're really truly sincere with this work if you're dedicated then it will happen as it's meant to. It, the the journey will unfold the way that it's meant to. that's what i believe.
1: yeah, and uh, at at some point the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of doing something different.
0: that's yeah. how
1: i always think of it. at some point the, uh, you know, it's, that's why they talk about rock bottom. sometimes some people unfortunately have to hit rock bottom because they need to feel that kind of pain to say wow. If this is what's going to keep happening, if I don't change, then whatever, bring it on. I'll run through a brick wall, but I don't want to keep feeling this anymore. Yes. And it doesn't have to be that way, but sometimes that's that's what's necessary. And I'll say this, I've been in the room with military veterans, gang members who had a different type of life or death experience than most of us ever have to. And I've I've talked to them after we've done some of our processes and some of our work, and they say that was the scariest thing I've ever done.
0: Wow. Standing in front of
1: a room of men and telling them my insecurities and where I feel inadequate and the things that I've never told anybody before, that was the scariest thing I've ever done. And that blew me away because I've never gone to real battle. I've never had my life on the line like some of those men have before. And to hear them say that was the hardest thing they've ever done and that took real courage for them. I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah, this, there, there's something to this perception of death and what we, you know, cause there, it, it all comes back to what I believe is a fear of dying yeah. and people who are scared of public speaking. There's, you literally trace it back to, I think I'm going to die if I do this thing. Right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that one always blows me away. So without, obviously without breaking any confidentiality, I always like to share that. Cause to me, that's, it still blows my mind.
0: Well, that's incredible. And I really, I actually think this is a great point to maybe, just sort of backtrack a little bit to men's work in general and if a man is listening to this and they're new to it, they don't know what to expect, they're a little bit like hesitant, what are some of the things that they can expect with the work that you offer? Like what if they join a men's group, what what can they expect from that?
1: I always tell men the first thing you should expect is to be reminded of how not unique you really are. I always say the first medicine for men is relatability, being able to relate to one another's experience and sometimes it's come into circles over and over again. And just hearing other men share their stories until you finally get it that, Oh, they're not going to judge me. These men are not going to think differently of me here. Cause that's something that we've all agreed to. And in reality, if I judge you for something, I'm really just judging myself. And that's what, that's what this whole bully culture really is. If we really want to boil it down to its finest parts, bully culture is really just projection. And yeah and and kids they do that instinctively because it's so it's so vulnerable to be exposed for being short or being a little bit smelly or whatever kids bully each other for right yeah uh, but that that fear persists if we don't if we don't address it as we get older so one of the first things we do especially for men who've never experienced what we do in our circles is just let men know that hey you're welcome here and you there's nothing that you can share or say or do here that we haven't seen before mm. and that we won't continue to see over and over again we're actually pretty simple creatures when it comes down to it and uh, and that's to me that's what really starts the show right yeah. once a man takes has that moment where he says you know what time to take a risk right i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to risk it i'm going to say that thing and boom he says that thing and then he looks around the room and he realizes that nobody's kicking them out, nobody's laughing at them. In fact, it's the opposite. There's men who are crying, men who are putting their hand on their heart, men who are raising their hands, because that's one of the ways that we just indicate solidarity. Like, hey, I've also been through that. I'm going through that right now. I'm right there with you right now. And it blows people away if they've never had that experience before. And like I said, I've been doing this for 15 years. And I remember the first experience I really had of that completely blew me open. And I've never been the same ever since. It's easy for me to take it for granted because I've had that experience so many times. Every time a man tells me something that he's absolutely terrified of other people finding out, all I, all I do is just like, Hey man, thank you. Thank you for sharing that and offloading that from your chest. Cause I know what it's like to carry that stuff around, especially yeah. if it's something in most cases they've never told anybody before, or maybe one or two people on the whole planet know that about them. Yeah. And it creates a prison. So, after that, once we break through that threshold, which is a huge, huge threshold to break through in fact it's it's probably the most important thing if we if we just accomplished that, then job well done. but that opens up this whole territory and terrain for us to say, wow, okay, well, if I can explore that, let's talk about the, you know, when I used my, my first sexual experience was with another boy or the things that I thought when I was, you know, the type of porn I used to watch when I was a teenager or the type of porn I watch right now, or it goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And we can start to talk about it and then ask ourselves, okay, well, why, 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 especially for more current things, right? Sometimes these are historical things, but why are you still choosing to do that? what is that? What's underneath it? And, it? and and every time it gives men a little bit more courage to peel back the, layer, the onion and go a little bit deeper, be a little bit more honest with themselves. And again, I, I say men, cause that's who I tend to work with, but I think it's really a human thing, right? How, yeah. how much do we, do we require to dig a little bit deeper into ourselves?
0: Yeah. Well, I love that you bring this up around just things that are very, very vulnerable to share, things that men have shame around, right? And I know you and I, when we first spoke, we spoke about some of the things, but what are, just so women understand, because it's hard, like some women don't even really know or think that men might have stuff buried inside that they have so much shame around. Um, sometimes women tend to be more relational. This is obviously a generalization, but sharing with their girlfriends comes really easily and naturally. but with men, it's not the same sometimes, right? So this work is so important. And so what are some things that might surprise women, for example, on what men carry a lot of shame around?
1: Well, I'll just talk about my own experience because um, I don't want to obviously give away anybody else's stories. But for example, I don't think I ever had a real conversation about my sexual experiences with any of my partners with another man until I was well into my mid-20s. In fact, I can remember the first real vulnerable conversation I had with a friend of mine. And he actually led first. He actually told me, hey, I've been having this thing with, um, well, I won't say what it was. And I was like, wow, that, that same thing is happening to me too. And and I was just getting into a relationship with my wife. And he's like, well, why don't you talk to her about that instead of having this thing on your mind? And I was like, are you are you kidding me? And he kind of emboldened me to have that conversation. But all of the conversations I'd ever had about sex or my sexuality up to that point with other men, even my best friends, was usually about just getting laid. <laughs> you know, right. and, and very, very superficial and, and <laughs> very much what you would think of as like traditional locker room talk, because that's what... Immature, insecure masculinity looks like, right? Yeah. It's like trying to create a smokescreen so you won't see the part of me that feels unsafe underneath that, right? right. It's not really that we want to be boastful and talk about how many different women we've slept with or who I was able to take home after the party. It's that it's always a veil for something that is uh, that feels much less safe or secure within myself. So the amount of sexual trauma, sexual shame, sexual inadequacy that men are experiencing unbelievable Uh, i mean i because obviously i've only ever had my experience and then all of a sudden i started listening to what men were sharing i was like whoa um this the experiences that so many men had first sexual encounters a lot there's a lot in that realm that doesn't get talked about and i think is probably one of the one of the biggest things um but then a lot of it comes to all of the other conventional metrics for measuring male success or masculine success in the world money prestige, accomplishments, and achievements, how many men who have some of those things on their record and still feel just ridiculously inadequate and unaccomplished. At at a baseline, what I've learned about men is that no matter who is standing in front of you, if he identifies as a man that there's a place in his heart where he just wants to be of service to you and his community every man at our heart of hearts, we just want to give back. We just want to be useful. We just want to be helpful to the greatest degree that we can. And a lot of times we're getting in our own way with that. And our stories are getting in the way of that. All these places where I feel inadequate, that make me feel ashamed, that make me feel incompetent, get in the way of me just being able to be of service my life experiences are getting in the way of that. So once I can start to reconcile those things, it empowers me to be of greater service, to be more compassionate, kind, loving, considerate of other people's, considerate of the other sex, considerate of my partner, considerate of my children. But if I'm so wrapped up in my own challenges and traumas in my life, then I can never really access that part of me that wants to serve. And I think that's where, the story of men and masculinity has gotten a bad rap because I, I think there's some undertones of just men want to be a certain way and want certain things and are driven by certain things. But this is just my belief. I really believe that men, purely at the core of things underneath all, when we get to the core of that onion, it's just a beautiful, loving, tender heart that wants to be of service and to give back.
0: The thing that I wanted to just quickly go back to was the shame that men feel around sexual trauma and sexual abuse for a second. Because this is something, I mean, it's so incredible that you are talking about this in circles. I think it really, like you said, needs to be spoken about way more. Women are obviously over the past you know, 10 years or so, we're coming out with more of this stuff on our end. But then for men, I think what a lot of, women and maybe people in general don't realize is that usually people who are perpetrators end up having a history of their own sexual trauma and abuse. And so in my case with my biological father, we very much suspect that that was the case. And so this is deeply personal for me and for, for most people to realize perpetrators, again, aren't just sort of, they, they don't just come out of nowhere. Things shape them into who they are. And so for more men to speak about their own sexual abuse and trauma will have a direct impact on men who are perpetrators in that respect. And so I think this is like something that I don't think people speak about enough. It's it's a very big truth that I think people need to speak about more.
1: Yeah, well, one of the one of the oldest stories that goes all the way back to childhood for boys is calling each other gay and the story that all of the shame that goes around being gay or homosexual. And obviously there's deep, deep roots with that story. Right. Uh, yeah. So we don't need to go into the roots of it, but just appreciating that that is something that all boys or many boys growing up were terrified of is people calling me gay, thinking I'm gay. What if I am gay? Can I, can I, <clears throat> if I think I might be gay, can I even explore that and express myself that way? Because if I do, I'm going to get bullied and beat up, etc. So when sexual abuse is brought into the picture, specifically if a boy was abused by another male, an older sibling, a, a parent, or an uncle, a coach, anything like that, immediately it creates, it, it's almost like it creates a, a a prison for that boy to live in. Because now it's like, well, I can't talk about that because people are going to think that I'm gay. And even if you go deeper into the story where maybe that boy became aroused by what this what oh, this person who was abusing them was doing to them, and then they then that starts to mess with their mind, like does that mean that I am gay because I did get aroused and and you see the story continues to spiral, and this is one of those crystalline moments where that individual's psyche is starting to create a story, and if there's no loving gentle support just to just to help that individual understand what was happening for them then all they can do is write this story from a survival place and so different versions of that story come up i am gay because this thing happened and i can't let anybody know because everybody who is gay or is thought to be gay in my school gets beat up so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna be the least gay on the outside and you know what in fact whenever somebody is accused of being gay i'm gonna like bully them for it because that'll really make people think that I'm not gay. And all of a sudden you can start to see how these stories evolve from a really painful experience that someone had that, like you said, was probably perpetuated by somebody who had the same or similar painful experience happened to them. And now we're perpetuating, uh, now we're creating a legacy of abuse, right? Right. Abuse in our society, especially sexual trauma and abuse is it's, it's a legacy. It's a part of our culture. And I say our culture very deliberately. It's not individualized. No, this is a part of our culture that we are all participating in to one degree or another. And so that's, that's where, again, the, the responsibility comes in. How, what am I doing to interfere or disrupt that story being told to the next generation? What are we doing? What am I doing to heal my experiences or helping somebody else to heal or reconcile their experiences so that we're passing on a better story to the next generation instead of the same old one? Um, so I started to riff a little bit there. Did I answer your question? I,
0: I absolutely love that. And I totally agree. This, this goes back in the lineage. We have to ask ourselves, how far back does this actually go? And whether it's related to sexual abuse and trauma or abuse in general, or a numerous amounts of things. It's like what I see right now, which is really exciting, is that collectively, we're actually tackling so many of these different things. We are in this great period of transition. This new paradigm is really shaping and coming online to be available to us. And we're the ones that are having to interrupt all of these generational patterns. And so if you think about all of the things that are changing in our world today, there's So many huge ones. And so I just want to give all of us credit for those of us doing this work. We're really trying to do a lot of the heavy lifting to change these generational patterns that are, you know, in so many different areas. And so it's, it's serious work and it's really impactful work. And if you have children, it's, yeah, it's really, I do this work, not just for myself, but for my children and yeah, it's it, it's incredibly impactful. And if you don't have kids, then just you being yourself in the world is a model for other people, and it has a huge
1: impact as well. well I re- I'll just piggyback off that last thing that you said. That's one thing I always mention because obviously I'm a parent, so I talk to parents a lot and about parenting and the responsibility of parenting. Uh, I love talking to fathers because I think fathers are another one of those categories of humans on this planet that don't get a lot of love or, well, we get a lot of love, but don't really get to talk about what our experience is like and how much we go through too. But when it comes to fathering or parenting, every single one of us has a responsibility because we're all, as soon as you're out in the world and you're influencing others by even just the way that you be on this planet. To me, you're you're parenting and mentoring, and in in this case, uncling the next generation, whether you have children or not, and that's one of the biggest things that we missed out on is having enough adult mentors and reference points to give us a full spectrum of of, of choice. Right? And it's because, and I usually say this at my work with men. On a fundamental level, we talk about what is the what is the father avatar that that you want to embody? What is what is the version of a man that you want to be? Not just what you got from your dad, not just what you got from your stepdad or from your grandfather, but all of the men in your life, the best and the worst of what you saw. Because even if you had a terrible father, a father who didn't give you anything that you want to be, at least he gave you an example of what you don't want to be. So right. there's, there's something that we can source for every single one of them. And then taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, and letting that become the, I'm, I'm kind of using my hands here. I don't know if people will see this, but that will become the model that I mentor myself from is that version of the best qualities of that man that I wanted to be. And that becomes the man, the mold that I grow into to become. And so we need a large spread of men to have to, to give us as much variety and possibility of what it looks like to be a man on this planet to broaden my, what's possible for me and for the next generation, for every boy who's growing up, to see it, many different examples of what being a man on this planet looks like And empower that young person to choose who and how they want to be as they navigate through life. And so whether you're a father biologically or not, every single one of us has a role.
0: Yeah, I totally believe that too. And so just to give people kind of one last burst of encouragement to do this work if you're a man, who would you say if you're talking to like a group of men who had never
1: done this before, who is this for? Like
0: what type of man is this work for?
1: Well, obviously, I really think it's for every man. Uh, there's, there's, yeah. there's no man that I have met who is walking around this world fully himself. There's masks and armor that we all put on. And what I would say to those men who've never heard about this before is, just ask yourself where you can relate to the things that you've heard us talk about on on just on this episode. The things that you've heard me say, because that's just scratching the surface. And what if the things that you've held the most shame, the most insecurity about in your life? What if you weren't the only person? Was holding on to those things. And you really believe that, not just because I said it, but because you put yourself in a in a room with other men who said, Yeah, here's my story. And all of a sudden we're looking around, confirming each other's experiences. What would that feel like? Would you feel better or worse? Period. And if the answer is that you would think you would feel better, then maybe there's something there for you.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's that's incredible. I hope that I mean, really, my my true desire is for everybody to do this work whether you're a man or a woman, you you can find spaces for for all of it. And God, I really thank you so much, Jetty. This was such an incredible conversation. I just am so honored that you came on. Do you have any sort of last words or things that you want to, um, to leave us with?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I know that, first of all, thank you for steering this conversation and having me on here. It's always, I'm always honored and it feels like a privilege to be able to be a guest on someone's show. So thank you for the yeah, time. And I know what sparked our connection was the post that I had put up about Me Too and the Me Too movement. And for me, I just I just want to briefly speak to that and say that, yeah. Uh, that's why I believe it's so important for us to be able to have open and honest conversations and be able to take responsibility and make room for other people to take responsibility because that's where the most constructive conversations can happen. And in the world we live in where so many things can be misunderstood or we misrepresent ourselves and how we speak because there's so much communication that's happening, the most important thing is for us to have honest and respectful dialogue with one another. And yeah. I really appreciate your invitation to do that and to, because- and I'm grateful I, I, obviously i'm I'm grateful that that happened because it brought us to have this conversation here, and even if this conversation helps one or two people, to me, that's totally worth it so yeah. um so yeah, thank you for your openness and curiosity because to me curiosity is the cure for all judgment, and that's <laughs> something that we could all we could all benefit from more of.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Jetty, I, I love that, that you ended on that note. And I, I think this is sort of, you know, my bigger purpose and mission in the world is really to heal the relationship between men and women specifically. As you can probably imagine from my story, it's, it's my life path that I've had to do. And I feel like what you just said is crucial for men and women to be able to have these open conversations with each other. And so yes, like men's work, women's work, but then we also have to have spaces where we come together and really speak, um, in co-ed spaces to do, to take the healing further, to really heal the relationship between men and women specifically. And so I, I just, yeah, I wish more people could have, um, curiosity, openness, respect when having these conversations, because there is, there's so much misunderstanding. There's also a lot of knee-jerk reactions that that we all have from prior trauma when engaging with other people, but really dialoguing face-to-face in this way is so incredibly healing. And so I wish more people would do that. And so I'll just kind of leave it at that, but I would love to hear what you have going on right now, what offerings you have, if you want to just spend a few minutes on that.
1: Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Um, one of the things that we mentioned, we don't have anything formally on the books, but we are going to be offering some programming for teens and boys, uh, helping them on that journey. Cause so much of what we do at rising man is about rites of passage and, um, in, in initiating a generation of men who are purpose-driven leaders. So. Uh, so be be on the lookout for that. Uh, all the stuff that we do is at risingman.org. Anybody wants to follow us at Rising Man Movement on Instagram. My personal account is at Jetty Azuma. You can always anything I'm going to be doing. I, I say that because that's where it's all going to be happening. Uh, but currently, we're in our period of enrollment for our spring programming, and right now we're uh, we have open applications for Compass, which is a four day solo wilderness fast rite of passage experience that we offer to men. So if you're interested in marking a threshold in your life, getting more clear on your vision and your purpose and direction and where you're going, doesn't matter what, what age you are. I've taken out 18-year-olds and 72-year-olds. So whatever wow. stage you're at in your life, if you want to mark that closing of a chapter in the beginning of a new one, it's a really powerful way to do it. So,
0: That's incredible. Uh, where is that located?
1: Risingman.org slash compass. You can get information there. You can apply and then we'll get a call from someone on our team to make sure it's a good fit. And, um, yeah, we're going to be talking a lot more about that on the rising Man accounts in the next couple of months too. So just be on the lookout.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I'll definitely post all the links too in the show notes, but where uh, like in the world is it located? Is it in
1: Oh, we're in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll be doing our first one here in Austin. Um, we haven't, this will be the first one that we do in Austin. Uh, we're, and then we're doing a few out in California on the West coast throughout the, uh, throughout the course next year. Uh, all the dates and locations are on the website. So I'll leave that to that.
0: Oh my gosh. That, that's so incredible. Thank you so much for just dedicating really your whole life to this work. It's very, very incredible to watch. It makes me a little bit emotional. And so I just wanted to thank you for all of your just hard work, your dedication. You just, you're doing incredible things. And so thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, and we'll talk soon.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Leanne. And likewise, um, same respect and admiration to you doing your work as well. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Okay. Bye. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really, really helps these conversations to get out to more people. I really appreciate it. And if you're someone who needs support with love, sex, and relationships, please reach out. I work with individuals and couples, and I also teach classes and run groups. And so stay in touch. Please, please reach out if you have comments or questions. I love talking about all of these topics. Sending lots of love, and I will talk to you soon.